This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshas Vayela 5782, Perek Lamed Aleph, Pasuk Chavav, the first one of the year. It's not bad. La Sefer Torah Aid. Take this Sefer Torah, the Sefer Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu had just written. You should place it in the side of the Arum Bris of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It should be there for you for an aid, as a witness, as testimony that everything that was said in this Torah is true. So Rashi says, number one, there's a machlok in Babbas Yudalim Nalf, where they put this Sefer Torah. So Rabbi Yehuda says it was a board that stuck out from the side of the Aron Kodesh on the outside. Now, I wanted to go into this. I, I didn't in the end of the day. I have no idea what this means. There was an actual board sticking out from the Aron Kodesh. Why wouldn't that invalidate the Aron Kodesh from being able to be used? Was it a board that just stood there like a little table? The wording of the Gemara seems to be, according to Rabbi Yudah, that there was an actual board sticking out from the Aron Kodesh, which to me seems unbelievably strange. But that's where the Torah was placed. The Torah was placed inside a box. And when the Argez that the Plishtim sent them in the future, according to the Ben Yishchai, it was in the Argez. According to the other Rishonim, it seems to be it was on top of of the Argays, and that's that the treasure box that they brought in. Maybe that's it, yeah. How does everybody think that it wasn't sticking out? Because the rest was coated in gold, so how would you have had it? Uh... No idea. No idea. I have absolutely no idea. I, attached somehow? It sounds like it stuck out from the Aron Kodesh. I have no clue. I have literally no idea. Why you were allowed to do anything to it? You couldn't change the Aron Kodesh from what it was. What? It sounds like it. It sounds like it. Maybe it means a table to the side, but it's, the wording is bole to mina aron. I, I, I just, I don't know. Rameir holds it was placed on the side of the luchos in the actual aron kodesh, and he discusses there how it would have fit, like where they put the luchos and the sefer Torah, etc. They discuss it right over there. Targumunkulos says the words mistar aron kayama on the side of the aron habris, which sounds like the side of the aron kodesh. You know, that sounds like Rebbe Huda. Targum Yonason says it was placed in a box on the right side side of the Aron Kodesh. I don't know if it's right when you're looking in or right when, you know, from a Kodesh Baruch Hu's perspective, I'm not sure, that eventually that box may have become the Argus and he says it or whatever it is, right? But it wasn't around yet, especially at that time. Either way, both of them, both Targumim seem to say that it was on the side and not inside. The Alshech doesn't understand this at all. How can we possibly put a Sefer Torah written by man next to the Aron, which contained the Luchos, which were written by God? How could you put the two next to one another? He says it's all to show that the Kedusha of the Sefer Torah is equal to the Aseris Adibros that were written in the Luchos. As a timeout, I'm not positive I fully understand what the Alshech means by that, because the Luchos were Psolacha Luchos of Anim. They were made by Moshe Rabbeinu. I guess the engraving on the Luchos was made by God, right? But so too, the Sefer Torah was given to Moshe Rabbeinu from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It seems a little bit of a strange question to me. But either way, the Paris Yosef wonders if you, can, if you can derive from here that you can place any other Sfarim in the Aron Kodesh. Are you allowed, for example, to put a bunch of Chumashim next to the Sifre Torah in an Aron Kodesh? It doesn't have the same status. We know that. The Aron Kodesh, obviously, with the Sifre Torah, are different from the Chumashim that a person might have. But if you could put the Sefer Torah of Moshe next to the Luchos in the Aron, in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, then maybe you could put other Svarim inside the Aron Kodesh itself, where we have our Sefer Torah. Perizofi wonders about that. That's a question.
Why was there a need to place a Sefer Torah in the Kodesh HaKadoshim where it would be inaccessible? This is not a good move. If you put it inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim, you could only go in there once a year and it was only the Kohen Gadol. So what was the point? If it was put in the Aron Kodesh, there was an assay that you weren't allowed to up, you couldn't open up the Kaporas. It had to be closed the entire time. So why in the world would this have been done? So the Sforno says that there would be a time in the future, the Nakarish Bar who knew this, when the people themselves would stop learning Torah, they would need one safer locked away in an area that was only visited by one person a year to show everyone that that which was written in here is the true deal. Meaning anybody that tries to fake it or add or subtract from the safer Torah and say this is wrong and this is that, we have one safer Torah that cannot have been forged because there was only one person who saw it every year and it's in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. There was no other way to access it and the people are already all always guarding it so there's no way to get to it so it must be that's absolutely real that's the idea behind it so it would be understood from that safer itself however this may not have been the safer that was found by Hilkiyahu that's Yermia's father when he brought it to King Yoshia that safer seems to be the safer Azaro that was given to the Kohanim to be their own personal safer. It wasn't necessarily Moshe Rabbeinu's safer that was in the Aron Kodesh or on the side of the Aron Kodesh. It seemed to have been something else. It caused Yoshia to start his tshuva movement and everything that happened because of that, but it was most likely not this safer whose existence they must have known about for centuries. And the Abarbanel says the same thing over here. He says the same thing as the Sforno, the same basic idea that they had to have one locked away just in case when people would come up later and say, I want to make up this, I want to make up that, they would say, no, you can't do it. That one safer is inside there and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be changed it wouldn't be plagiarized Malbim says that he sees people in his day that there are people they believe that the Torah is some major mistakes Khalila right to be able to say that and that the Torah was only given for certain times and certain places as a timeout remember the Malbim lived at a time where he was fighting the reform movement tooth and nail he lived around the same times as a little bit younger than the Chassam Sofer and he used to really go up against the reformed Jews who felt that you could change certain things or do certain things differently he said, that's the reason why the Sefer is put away. There would be there forever and ever, and it wouldn't change. The unfortunate part is, as we know, Yoshia hid the Aron Kodesh with this Sefer Torah. We no longer have it. We know it exists, but we no longer have it. The Shach asks, how Moshe could be Choshid Bechsherim? How could he suspect that people would do such a thing? And the answer is from the next few psukim, I know what's going to happen after my death. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him a nevuah that B'nai Yisrael were going to mess up after his death and they were going to try to change the Torah. For that reason, he took steps to prevent it or it could have been worse than it might have become. The Aznaim Torah adds that clearly this Torah was never meant to be learned from. It was not a learning Torah. It was a Torah that was there to prove to everybody that it existed since only one person would see it only once a year. This Sefer was there because HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew of what was going to happen in the future. As we said above and that's that. That's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded Bnei Yisrael to place the Sefer Torah as an aid. And that's the wording at the end of the aid. It should be testimony. It should be known for everybody that you should not listen to anything else. The Ksav Sofer says an interesting shot. He says, it's not about the Torah being placed in the Aron Kodesh. That's not what it means. The Pasuk was telling the Levium, the no say Aron Bris Hashem, the people who were carrying the Aron of the Bris, that they were in charge of the people's emuna from that point on. Meaning, the Torah was given to them by Hashem. The Levium were going to be in charge. They were carrying the Aron Bris. They had to show the people that a Kaddish Baruch Hu truly did so. Their job from that point on, and thus the job of every Rebbe that exists from the times of Levium all the way down into us, 
is really all about commanding the people, telling the people that the Torah that they heard on Har Sinai is the same Torah that was written by Moshe Rabbeinu at the end of the 40 years of the desert. That's the idea of what the teachers are supposed to be. Therefore, so to speak, the Torah would be the most accessible by them, by the no say Aram Bris Hashem. It's not about, the Ksav Sofer says over and over again, it's not about where the Sefer Torah was placed. It was placed in the Aram Kodesh, outside the Aram Kodesh. That's not the point. The point is, is that it was for those people who would be proving to others that the Aron is a real thing, they have to know the Torah. They have to take the Sefer Torah with them wherever they want to go. And maybe that's what Rashi means by comparing it to Zach or Shom or Halach, etc. And that explains the Machlokas. The Daf Bolate means they were all given up from Hashem like the Luchos were, added to the actual Ten Commandments. Putting it next to Luchos means that the entire Torah is hidden within the Luchos. There's a shot here, obviously, of where they were placed, but the Medrash is trying to say the following, that there's something unbelievable that every teacher, every, every person who's in charge of giving over the Torah to Klai Yisrael has to know that the Luchos were, I, I guess the Sefer Torah, I should say, were right next to the Luchos, and that's part of our ultimate amuna of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Victor Miller, he says that this also means that the words of the Torah should be listened to and understood in every generation, whether we like it or not. King Yoshia heard the Tochacha being read to him. Yoshia, the great king, heard the Tochacha being read from that Sefer Azara and realized he could apply it to his time. So he caused his entire generation to do tshuva because of that. Says Rabbi Victor Miller, that means you can apply the Torah at any time. Then you should apply it. And he says to the Holocaust, those who put their hands up in the air and say, we can't understand the secrets of Hashem. This is Rabbi Victor Miller's, Miller's famous line. Those who say, well, I can't understand it. I can't talk about the Holocaust because I can't understand it. Says Rabbi Victor Miller, that's not correct. That's not correct. We should realize that whatever happened was a punishment. European Jewry required a punishment. Why? Because in that time, and again, we're not living then. We had no idea what was going on, but we see the results today. There was the greatest defection from Torah in the history of all of European Jewry. And they just left. And there were reformed Jews that just went completely off, completely off with the Enlightenment movement, etc. And it wasn't doing well. And the result of that fact is Tzadikim and Rishayim both get punished. It's not just the people that went bad. It's anybody that's involved in such a thing. Anybody who's around can be punished. Simply put, he says, we can never attribute misfortunes to, that happened to us to any other reason other than being over on the words of the Torah. And that's something we have to be constantly looking out for. And that's what he says is the translation of the Torah. Take this Sefer Torah. Place it by the side of the arm of Hashem Lekechem. Explain the things that happen to you according to what the Torah says. Have it be the next line, the next idea, something that you're understanding. Ayelis Ashachar says it could be that they did access the Sefer Torah more than once. Although the Kohen Gadol was only allowed to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim one day a year in Yom Kippur. However, there is a Gemara, Erevin, that says when they needed to clean out the Kodesh HaKadoshim, they would send in workers. Workers were allowed to go in. What they had to do and how they had to stand or whatever it is, but they would clean out the Kodesh HaKadoshim. They did end up doing so. L'chachila, it should be Tahar Kwanim that didn't have any Mumen, etc. But regardless, they did go inside. Tosos and Baba Basra, it's Deeper Masol, Shlo Yei Sefer Torah, Yotzev Nechnas Kishu Dachuk. He says that it could be applied here. 
they could enter if they needed the Sefer Torah, even if it wasn't Yom Kippur and even if it wasn't the Kohen Gadol. They could check something. They could make sure the Torah, Sefer Torah didn't rot because obviously Sefer Torah in, a, in one place, it could happen. So they could make sure it doesn't become moldy. He also says that when the Mishkan was moved out of Shiloh, because obviously the things that happened, the Aron Kodesh was taken by the Plishim, eventually brought to Beit Shemesh, then brought to Avinadov's house and whatever, and Ovid Edom's, it could be that they opened up and they looked at the Sefer Torah and they were able to see what they had gotten. Then Itziv uses this idea at length to explain what happened with the broken luchos, etc., whatever, but that's not, not the point right now. He talks about how the broken luchos were the ones that went out to war, and when they were about to go out to war, they could take the broken luchos out of the regular Aron Kodesh and go with somewhere else. Aye, but you can only go into Kodesh Gadash with the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, says the Itziv, but if you need to, based on this Tosfos, you're allowed to go in. So at any point, if you need to walk into the Kodesh Gadash for whatever, whatever is necessary, for example, again, cleaning, to get the luchos, the broken luchos, to go out to war, because they put that in a separate Aron, or to get the Sefer Torah to check on things, you are allowed to do so. That's something that Tziv says, that's a normal thing to do. Now Rashi, as we said before, says that the word Lakoach is just like the words Zachor, Shamor, and Haloch. The Mizrahi, as well as Sifzah says, what that means is, this is Belashan Hove, right? It's not a command. It's not a command that you must put the Sefer Torah in the Kodesh Gashem. It's an idea that you should do. It makes sense. But it is not a mitzvah. It's a little shocking because you'd think they're both mitzvahs. Zachor and Shamor is for sure a mitzvah, isn't it? Zachor is Yom HaShabbos Lekadjo. is a mitzvah, same video, right? to do Kiddush. Shamor is Yom HaShabbos is that we have the 39 malachos. I'm a little shocked that he's calling it not a mitzvah from the words Zachor and Shamor and Rajah. Although maybe he's just saying that's the Lushan of, you know, the, the way that it's read. I, I'm not sure. Rechaim Paltiel says there's no question this is a command, not a request. But the way that the Mizrahi understands it is it's not a command. It's up to them. You can do it if you want to. It's a smart idea to put it by the Aron Kodesh in the Kodesh Kedushin, but I'm not commanding you to do so. The Ramban also says it was a tzivoy, a command of the Quran, and that's where they have to put it in the Torah more. says it's a command to place the Sefer Torah in an area that's constantly guarded away from the eyes of others. As we said before, they'd always have it accessible if they absolutely need it. The Levian were going to be in charge, etc. As a Tefer Shlomo, we're going to skip that for right now. There's a Medrash, and I, we, we're going to discuss this another year. I'm not going to go into the entire Medrash now. But it's quoted by the Tassikanim, the Ramban, the Rush, the Shach. They all say that in the seventh of Adar, before he died, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote 13 Sifrei Torah. Again, now, just to put that in perspective, it takes a great Sofer, I mean a quick Sofer, three months to finish a Sefer Torah, and that is on the super quick end. Super, super quick end. Six months, seven months, eight months is the usual amount of time. If the guy is spending, I mean, just think of writing for 12 hours a day. But in theory, it could take something like that. To be able to write 13 Sifrei Torah in one day is obviously impossible. You can't write one, let alone 13. Yeah, so. No, that 13 Sifrei Torah, remember those written, the stones that were written on the Be'er Hetev were something different. You know, whether that was happening by the times of Yoshua when they brought the stones in from the Yardin River and they put it up at Gilgal, or there was something else that he wrote Be'er Hetev before he went over the Yardin, which, you know, that's already a little bit of a problem. Either way, that was not this. This is 13 Sifrei Torah. So, I mean, it could be that you're right in a way, that he wasn't writing the whole Sefer Torah, he was only writing some. But this Sefer Torah was certain 
certainly written at that time. And the point of this medrash is saying he wrote 13 Sifrei Torah, one for each Shevet, and one for the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Right? He did that. And he wanted them so that they would all know, and that's that. Yeah. So, oh, so great quite hold on one second on that right this is the Grizz's question it's Briscoe Rub's question so you know that's a good question some say that one of those Sifrit were taken by Gavriel and it was brought to Shemayim to show them the greatness of Moshe Moshe Rabbeinu that Sidka Hashem saw. that's the end of the Medrash the Sefer is read by the Pamalia Shomala by the Bezdin Shomala on Monday Thursday Shabbos Rosh Chodesh and Yamim Tovim it doesn't say Tanisim. I wonder if there are Tanisim in Shemayim. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. But it didn't say Tanisim. That's the end of the Brisa. That's what the Brisa says. Now, the Rambam quotes this Medrash as well in his Hakdama to the Sefer, the Yad HaZakah, as well as to the Parish of Mishnayis. He writes it in his Hakdama. The Grizz, the Briskorov wonders, Ephraim and Menashe count as two. But then Levi's not included. So he said, what's going on here? There should be 14 Sifrei Torah. That's what you asked, no? There should be 14 Sifrei Torah, 13 for the Shvatim, and one that goes inside the whatever it is, whether it was Gavriel taking it upstairs or it was going to the Kodesh Hashem. What does it mean? And he says, that 13th Sefer was Shevet Levi's Sefer. There were 12 for the 12 Shvatim, including Ephraim and Asha separated as two. And Levi had the 13th Sefer, and that Sefer went in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. They didn't keep it themselves, they put it into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. There's not the time for it. But the Nitziv has a huge piece on how Torah Shabal Peh was more important to them at the time than Torah Shabal and how they had to work out it with Yoshua rather than what Moshe Rabbeinu had. There's something behind it, and it's, it's unbelievable behind it, right, what, what it was. But that's not for right now. They were wondering... And the people that were complaining, the way they complained was they said, why did only the Sefer of Shevet Levi be allowed in the Aron Kodesh? Why not ours? Why wouldn't all of ours be able to get inside there? Aside from that, obviously, it's a little bit difficult that Shevet Levi would never have had real access to that Sefer Torah. But I guess they would have made copies before they put it inside. It could be that they made copies of it, handed it out to everybody, and then put it inside, which makes a lot of sense. And come on, Shev, it's the Grizz's answer. The Grizz says, why would Ephraim and Menashe have been separate, especially if they were in totally separate territories? You'd think each one of them would need a safer Torah for themselves, right? But that's the obvious answer. There was Yosef. The honest truth is, it never bothered me until I saw the Grizz asked it. Once the Grizz asked it, I was like, okay, it's a question then. I always assumed, like you, that it was Yosef and Levi, and the 13th Sefer Torah just went in the Azara, or Gabriel took it. It's one of the two. Never bothered me at all, but this, I guess, is something a little bit different. Rev Hirsch talks about this as well. The Meshech Chachma says a great piece, such a great piece for the Meshech Chachma, Rev Meir Simcha of Devinsk. This Torah will be an aid for those who honor the Torah and treat it with chashivas. But if they move away from the Torah and they start serving other idols, how in the world can the Torah testify about us if we're making fun of it by not keeping its laws? Moshe Rabbeinu told the people, even though they rebelled against the Kaddish Baruch Hu, they're still davuk to Hashem. He gives an example. He says, even after B'nai Yisrael made the Egel Azov, Moshe Rabbeinu went to the people, he came down from the mountain, they immediately stopped, and he said, everyone should go and kill their own relatives. Go find your brother. Go find your, whoever it is that did the Egel Azov and kill them. And they did it. They did it. That's crazy. They hanged all the people. Remember, you hung a shirt, but you hanged a person. Okay? I know my grammar. They, they hanged all those who had worshipped the Baal Peor. 
And nobody said anything except Zimri. Everybody was fine with it. Meaning, even when they did things that were wrong, Bnei Yisrael still knew who God was and that Moshe Rabbeinu was his prophet. Said Moshe Rabbeinu, I know you've rebelled this way when I was alive. I know it's going to happen again after I die. But I guarantee you this, you will retain this love that you have for HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his Torah even when it happens. There will be somehow some type of love that you will have within you that will never go away and you can do nothing to stop it. It will always be there. There's a strange phenomenon. This is what the Meshachachma says. When other nations start their religion, the master is always made fun of at first. He's embarrassed while he's alive. But after he dies, they make up stories, they lie all over the place, and they deify him by saying he could never do anything wrong. Obviously, he's referring to Christianity and Islam, right? In which the person during his lifetime was treated as a fool. But when he died, it was already like, look at how great that person was after he passed away. But not so by us. It's interesting. While Moshe was alive and even after his death, the people retained their love for the Torah even when they did terrible things. They may have argued on him. They may have argued. But there was a love for the Torah that they would never give up. The generation of Achav, the evil generation of Achav, who was the king of Yisrael at a certain time, worshipped the Baal, the golden calves of Yeruvim, right? Yet they honored the Torah. And when another nation wanted to come in and steal the Torah from them, and they said, send us Machmadei the beloved of your eyes. Achav knew it was a reference to the Torah, and he said no. He was willing to fight the other nations. He didn't keep the Torah. He followed Baal and Asherah. He had all these hundreds of prophets to Baal that were around him. And yet when it came to, you want to take away our Torah? Never. I'll fight you to the death. That's what Akav said. What, in the, what, what kind of a person does that? Because that's what we are. That's exactly who we are as people. They honored the Torah. They kept it out of their hands. Yeruvim ben Nevat? I mean, we have no idea. We have ideas as to what he was thinking with the Egel Azov, making two new Egel Azov, and the fact that he convinced the people. But he was a massive Talmud Chacham. He learned Torah every day of his life. It doesn't make any sense. It's something unique that we have as a nation. And that's the edus of the Torah upon ourselves. That even when we do something wrong, we still somehow have a love for the Torah that is unexplainable. Absolutely unexplainable. That's the idea that the Meshachachma says over here, how that's an aid for everything that we go about. Maybe some of you saw the video of the Hasidim in Williamsburg saving Sifrei Torah from a basement shoal after the huge flood in New Jersey last week after Hurricane Ida. It's clear that Jews are willing to w- risk their lives to save a Sefer Torah, right? For that reason, so there's a couple amazing stories that I want to go through that are just uh, absolutely amazing. Elaine Shabbat brings an amazing story about a, a young man named, uh, a man named Chaim Tzvi Solomon, a young man at the time he was. He was sent to Auschwitz when he was 17 years old. He never saw his family again. So after the war was over, he, he talks about how he experienced miracle after miracle, like anybody who survived the war, so miracle after miracle. He went back to his hometown called Helman to look for his father's Sifrei Torah, which he knew were written by very special Sifrei. There were two Sifrei Torah there, right? He had no idea. He came back to his town. The place was in shambles. His hometown was complete, like everything. His house, the house that he grew up in, his father was a very wealthy man, destroyed, 
completely and utterly destroyed. There was absolutely nothing there. He sat down crying. He just sat down on a rock and started crying after seeing that everything was gone, not knowing what to do with himself. So he davened and he said, it's not about me here. I want these Sifre Torah. These Sifre Torah were amazing Sifre Torah written by unbelievable Sofrim. My father paid a ton of money for them to be made. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there's no way the Germans touched that, those Sifre Torah. Show me them. Show me where those Sifre Torah are. At that moment, he heard powerful barking. And his family dog, the dog that was with their family, was their guard dog when they lived there years earlier, obviously before the Nazis in Akshamam. So it bounded out of the forest nearby and ran right up to him. It began barking and started running toward a certain area. So Chaim Tzvi followed it. He went after the dog. The dog began digging with its front feet at a certain area, right, right around there, digging with its paws in the ground, right, trying to dig it up. And Chaim Tzvi did the same with his own hands. He didn't have a shovel. After five feet of digging, do you understand how much five feet is? Five feet of digging, he gave up. He was like, I'm not, I'm not, this is crazy. Five feet, we haven't found anything. There's nothing here. But the dog wouldn't stop. So he went, he continued again. Eight feet down, eight feet down in the ground, he came up to a box. He saw it, moved all the stuff away. It was the box filled with those two Sifre Torah. He opened it up to those two Sifre Torah. He picked them up both tenderly, began walking away, but the dog wouldn't stop barking and digging. It kept going. It kept digging. So he did it and eventually he found another box filled with silver coins. His father's wealth that he had hidden before he was taken. His father was able to take as much as he could before he was taken or whatever, to hide as much as he could before he was taken. But the only way that he was able to know was the family dog. Amazingly, the family dog seven days later died. It wouldn't eat anything. He obviously treated it with everything he could, but it wouldn't eat anything. Seven days later, the dog passed away. It's a crazy story, an absolute crazy story. But he had his Sifre Torah, and he was, able to, he was able to get some of his wealth back and to be able to get it through. He brings another story about a Rav whose congregants would not stop talking during Kriya Torah. Lo Elenu, this is an unbelievable story as well. I can't believe he did this. The Rav tried everything he could, but to no avail. Every time he tried talking to them, they would still talk during Kriya Torah. So finally, one Shabbos, he had had enough. They were leaning on the bima in the middle, in the middle of a Kriya, middle of one of, the, one of the Aliyahs, he got up, walked up to the Sefer Torah, wrapped it up, put the mantle back on, put it back in the Aron Kodesh, and said, Ashrei Yosheh It started Musaf. They were done with laning for the week. So the message was received. The people realized, and obviously they stopped talking from that week on, and they were fine. But later, the rough head, he felt bad. He, it was a spur-of-the-moment thing. He decided to do it just then, did he do the right thing? So he wrote to Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein in his kolel to ask what he had thought. So some of the kolel members said, if they were talking, they weren't hearing Kriya Zatora anyway, which is cute. But obviously some of them could hear the Kriya Zatora, right? Others as well, they said, there's a great punishment for those who talk during Kriya Zatora. So he's saving them from the punishment of talking during Kriya Zatora. So even though they missed the Kriya, at least they saved them from that punishment. But that's also a little bit strange. He said that he might have arrived from somewhere, but they ended up bringing it to Revol Yashiv, Rav Yitzhak Zilberstein's father-in-law. Revol Yashiv said it could be compared to Shvira Saluchos, breaking the Luchos. The way that Moshe Rabbeinu said, it's better for them not to have it. And he said, therefore, this Rav should be praised for his actions, for saying, it's better for you not to have it, you don't deserve it. And there's nothing to do, he told them, there's nothing to do tshuva for in this case. That's an amazing, amazing idea, yeah. 
I would assume it's sort of like that. Well, yeah, because the, the second colon number, not the first one, that they couldn't hear it. I don't yeah, understand that at all. Yeah, Eislas is just like Feiru Torah Yeah, literally, right, Feiru Torah in this case. That would be exactly that. It's basically the same idea. He didn't use those words, though. He did not use those words. What an interesting case. I, I mean, that is, it's just crazy to think about it. Then another question was faxed in from Mexico. They had hired someone to clean and paint the inside of the Arun Kodesh. So they had a guy, probably he was Mexican, who went and cleaned it out, but he wasn't Jewish. So when they came back the next morning, they found all the Sifrei Torah laid out neatly right in front of the Aron Kodesh on the ground. They were all laid out because he had painted it and then he just left the Sifrei Torah on the guy. They didn't give him instructions properly, so they did that. So they, were like, they ran in, they took the Sifrei Torah, they put it in the back of the Aron Kodesh and they asked, do they have to fast? Because the Sifrei Torah were placed on the ground because of them. So Rizzo Zobershin asked them, did they, they, did it look like they were placed neatly in a row? And they said, yeah, they were in one row one after the other. They said, then he, the guy who painted the, the inside, he didn't know what to do with them, but he still treated them with respect when he put them on the ground. He didn't just throw them on the ground. He said, therefore, you don't have to fast in that case. Because it wasn't being done to knock down this Sefer Torah. It was done to be able to give cover to Sefer Torah, then it was okay. It's another one. Another time, someone walked in early one morning, he saw a thief taking out a Sefer Torah from the Aron Kodesh. He yelled at him to stop, right? Screamed at him. And the guy threw the Sefer Torah to the ground and then ran, knowing that the Jew was going to run to the Sefer Torah and not try to catch him. It's exactly what happened. The Jew ran to grab the Sefer Torah. He picked it up, obviously tenderly. He put it back inside the Aron Kodesh. And then he had a Shiloh. His scream caused the man to throw the Sefer Torah to the ground. Is he responsible to fast, the 40 fasts, because he's the one that caused the Sefer Torah to go down to the ground? So another interesting one over here, right? He says, Rabbi Yitzhak Zobershin said, it would be like placing your tefillin inside your shirt when you go to the bathroom because you're afraid of, being, of it being stolen or placing it underneath your head if you're afraid of something happening to it. Where It's not the greatest thing in the world. In fact, the Gemara even says that if you're riding from one place to the other, you're afraid of the Sefer Torah being stolen, you can sit on this Sefer Torah. You can place it underneath your saddle, underneath your seat, if you're afraid of it getting stolen. And therefore, because of that, you were trying to save the Sefer Torah by screaming at that guy. Then therefore, when he threw it down to the ground, you're not responsible for that. That was your way of saving the Sefer Torah. And finally, he also talks about the permissibility. What do you do in the times of Nazi Germany, for example, when they were going to abuse the Sefer Torah, as we know, what they did was they cut up the Sefer Torah and they turned it into lunch bags and they turned it into shoes, lo'alenu, and all these things. Are you allowed to burn a Sefer Torah so it doesn't reach the hands of the Nazis to destroy it? I, I'm sure if they could have, they would have. The question was, we have no way of hiding it. There's no way they're not going to find it. And if they find it, they're going to abuse it. Can we destroy the Sifrei Torah so they're not abused by other people? It says, this is a machlokas between the Knesset Yechezkel and the Shvus Yaakov. The Knesset Yechezkel does not allow it. He said no. But the Shvus Yaakov does, and he brings as an example, that Shaul Amelech, because he knew he was going to be abused in the hands of the Pelishtim, he told the people, he told the people around him, kill me. And when they wouldn't do it, because they're not touching the king, Shaul threw himself on a sword so he wouldn't be abused by the Pelishti people. 
right, and killed himself. He committed suicide because of that. So he said, if you can do that to not allow your body to be abused, then you can apply that to a Sefer Torah, that the Sefer Torah can be burned rather than abused by the Germans. The Knesset Yechesko says it's not a proof. He says, Shoal was afraid not only of his own body. If he would have been captured alive, and taken by the police and tortured. It wasn't just his torture he was worried about. He was afraid that the Jews would fight to get him back. They would fight to try to get his body back. And that would cause more loss of life. In order to make sure there wouldn't be such a loss of life, therefore he said, I'm going to die. I'm going to throw myself on the sword rather than let that happen. That's not the case by the Sefer Torah. We're not worried about somebody fighting to get back to the Sefer Torah because once it's gone, once they use it as shoes, it's gone. There's nothing you can do about that. Again, lo alenu, but those are the ideas behind it. All those stories that Rabbi Yitzchak brings up, Rabbi Yitzchak brings down, the idea about what happens over here. Shlomo, what were you going to say? It's an interesting call. I, I don't know, because each piece would only be taken one time. So that's another thing I would raise, like, in terms of why would the Rebbe have me, otherwise the Rebbe have me say that you could, because one's doing, you doing something specifically, and one's someone else doing it, so it's yeah. not preventing, but, but rather something done by someone else, then you deliberately denace going and doing something. I mean, Sholem Elch would be a good proof then, because it was somebody else, right? It's not you yourself. That's the end. That's the Knesset Cheskel. But this was Yaakov's proof that Shaul Malik killed himself so that he wouldn't be given to the hands of the police. Somebody else would have done it. No, we don't. The was Yaakov was making conjecture. Shvi versus death. Right. That, that's a question. But the Shavuz Yaakov said it was because of that. That's re- that was his proof. Knesset Cheskel says, like you, that's not a great proof. Altogether. Altogether, though, everyone, it's a strange thing. And what we'll go with next time, we just have to figure out exactly what it means by this Machlokis Rabbi Yudu Rabmeir. At some point, I'll get to it. All right, Shkai, everybody, have a great day.